Hi Triber, we're back for the next season. Smart Girl Tribe has grown to become the UK's number one female empowerment organisation. We have an event series, a digital magazine, a membership platform and this podcast. What can you expect from us? Interviews from women all over the world who are driving change and pushing the needle forward. From actors to activists to CEOs and conflict photographers to the brains behind some of the world's largest corporations. When you're not tuned in every Wednesday at 6pm, then make sure you're chatting to fellow unapologetically ambitious women in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or sharing our ever so inspirational content on Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe. What a treat you are in for today, Tribers. Marin Tangi and I met at Warwick University earlier this year for their special International Women's Day event. We both had the opportunity to speak and quickly struck up a friendship. Marin is someone I admire both for personal and professional reasons. In 2015, Marin set up MT Art Agency, an art agency that provides a better supporting structure for artists outside the traditional gallery model. In this episode, Marin opens up about everything you can't Google about her. Of course, she is a Forbes 30 Under 30 alumna and go-to art media commentator. But we also talk about dealing with the word no, how French she is, her approach to fashion, her favourite London galleries and what the vision is for the agency. Marin is such a force in this space, an industry that has taken her from France to LA to here in London. It was lovely finally sitting down and having such a raw conversation with one of the most graceful business owners I have ever met. Hi Marin, it's great to have you here today. Thank you for coming on to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. Can you just share your story with our audience, please? Um, well, as you know, like, um, thank you so, so much for having me. And, and I think you always think, oh my God, how am I going to summarize it? Because it's actually been 12 years that I have a career now. And, and just like you, there's many up and downs, you know, it's never like a straight curve. I feel the best way to summarize it will be that I grew up in a tiny island um, off the west coast of France. My mom is a primary teacher and I was raised basically by uh, two teachers, one sports teacher, one primary teacher. And I was raised by the sea very far away from anything that's artistic or the art world, but in a lot of beauty because it was a very beautiful place. Um, I was definitely the odd kid, the kid that doesn't quite fit in, um, doesn't quite understand what it, what I was not fitting in. And 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 I was I had loads of questions, I had loads of desires, I had um, loads of uh, wishes to kind of escape and kind of see things um, a bit bigger and kind of talk to people who are a bit different. Um, so I didn't think, you know, as, as much as everyone after the lockdown speaks about coming back to the countryside, I did not have a great time in the countryside. I was dying to be in a place where there was more people, where I could exchange ideas, where I could understand um, who was making what creatively and, and kind of be exposed to this. Um, so when I was 17, um, I basically couldn't wait and, and started my first studies, which were literature and philosophy. And in the hope that I will get into a job that you know, um, engage my brain uh, creatively. Um, I think that was kind of, I, I was I was full of imagination and and I could appreciate music and dance and books and, and art and, and I had always been that way since I was little. Um, when I started that degree in France, um, the kind of career path where me becoming a politician, me becoming a professor, which obviously is amazing, but just absolutely not what I had hoped for. Um, so then I said to kind of restart my life um, 
uh, two years later in, in England when I was 19. There's obviously loads of highs and lows to that as well. I actually undergone um, a pretty serious operation um, in England by complete coincidence because that was one of the places where they could do it. Um, and so um, and so I resigned my life. So I became an au pair. I started having internships at the VC and I applied everywhere that I thought was interesting. Um, and I also waited some tables at Costa Coffee and what her Harrods um, and landed um, to start history of art again at Warwick University at age 20. Um, alongside um, basically uh, running a stand for an art dealer at Berkeley Square as well. So I was starting my career back then. Um, and then this accelerated. I think you, we both met through Warwick. I didn't like university, but I'm sure I had many issues to why I didn't like university. You know, I was very much someone that didn't have foundations, I didn't have parents backing her, so I didn't have really people who could advise me on the right thing to do. Um, but I, university was not a place that I enjoyed. I felt it was very contrived. I felt the way they taught history of art was very flat. And, and I saw history of art as quite busy with people talking all the time and inspiring you and, and artists explaining you how to make things. And, and somehow the, what I was being offered didn't match my imagination. And I was arrogant enough to think that my imagination um, was the one I should believe and, and make tangible more than the other way around. And so I therefore jumped out and dropped out after two years and became a very young Gary manager for the Gary the Outsiders, um, which uh, my first boss, Steve Lazardi, spotted JR and Banksy. Um, so I'm super lucky. I was landing in one of the top Garys in the world and, and also um a place really where artists had succeeded and also had inspired tons of people on the back of it so that was that was how i landed into that gallery job again i think um and you know i think my 20s have basically been like this i was never satisfied it's just it's a strange thing that vision and, and an imagination of what i wanted things to be and unless it was that i was just non-compromising and i'm sure it was a complete pain in the way i was non-compromising but i was non-compromising about it um, and so again, I decided that the model of the gallery and the way it was kind of things were done were not the way I had imagined. And, and I wanted things to be more engaging. I wanted the art to be in a different way. Um, so an investor from Los Angeles who was buying from the gallery at the time um, suggested, why don't you open your own gallery with me? I invest the money and you set up the gallery. And at the time I thought, it must be just who runs the gallery, as in how the gallery is run that I'm having issues with. Um, so let's just change that and let's, let's reuse the business model and, and make it better, which I thought I was doing. And, and I set up in Los Angeles. I posted a picture on Instagram yesterday um, because I saw this picture from six years ago, uh, very LA-like. And it was just completely mad, but I was 23 and I owned a gallery there and I was living on Hollywood Hills. and it's just completely surreal. Um, but on on the back of this, sadly, again, the Gary model didn't suit what I had imagined um, the engagement to the arts and the support to the artists will be and, and the way you would develop projects around artists will be. So I was actually, again, frustrated, which, which was, you know, I said with a smile, but I think, as we all know, um, kind of, you have to realize tough answers. And I think, I was actually sad every time. You know, when I dropped out, I was sad when I took a decision of 
changing job it was sad because i was sad that i was not getting the answers i wanted um but yet i still wanted to try and obtain the answers. but it was definitely difficult every time to realize oh this is wrong you know this is not um this is not the answers i'm trying to get um and then i was super lucky back in los angeles uh, to meet someone called michael levitz who started one of the top talent agencies in the world um he's now in his 60s caa is number two in the world and they backed um, Steven Spielberg, Tom Cruise, they were behind Jurassic Park in the 80s. So the, the biggest biggest ever time agencies for um, actors, actresses, musicians, sportives. And when he told me about his job and how he backed talents, how he invested in them, how he made sure they got to the top, I was like, that's what I want. Um, I want to be on the ride of people who are going to inspire thousands of people and I want to enable that. Um, and, and I need that job because I can see that this will suit me as a personality. So that's how I set to kind of dig in and realize that there was no talent agencies in the art world. Um, and yet I felt talking to my clients, partners and artists that this is something that they wanted. I am so incredibly happy that since I've been stable um, and that's actually fits. By the second I found the right answers and by the second I found that this was the right, the right model, not only did the business become successful and, and we're super lucky we now have four offices across the world and and generally i've done the craziest projects and, and the artists i work with are incredible um but i'm also as a person now have foundations and i only just have to add to the foundations for that to grow which is um a master way to be in life um then constantly challenging but that was a necessary phase to go through um so yeah so um to kind of summarize i think i'm now in the phase of my life where I get to establish the business even more. I get to grow people within the business to become bigger. Um, and it's a real joy. Um, I'm in the really nice phase um, life-wise currently. Amazing. And let's talk about your career, Marin. Do you remember the moment when you decided to set up your own agency? And what was it that really pushed you to suddenly get out of that world to pave your own way? Um, I think there's so many different little moments and that's why I was so fond of the picture I posted yesterday because I, I had this like pretty makeup and hair and this lovely dress but I was shaking in the inside I had no foundations I had debt in my bank accounts and I was petrified I think but I now look back to this early 20s lady thinking my god thank god you kind of chinned up and kept going with as much elegance as you could because um, it's the reason why I have those foundations. So I think it was just a constant courage and a constant dust yourself off and let's keep going because, you know, I was up against a lot of statistics where 90% of the people in my world are from very uh, privileged backgrounds. So a lot of their parents will be backing them financially at their start, which wasn't my case. Um, so there was a lot of things where, you know, I was up against, I think, the odds of what could happen. Um, and that's why when, you know, when I see her uh, kind of trying to go about the pretty makeup and try to still go and, and I know how shaken that was, I'm just, I'm actually just really amazed because I don't know if I could do it again. I think it's something that happens in your early 20s and mid 20s that you become so compromising that you just still go for things even if there's so few chances that you will that they will succeed and and the fact that it has worked out it's uh, i have so much gratefulness for 
every moment that there was all reasons that they would not work out, but somehow my mid-20s self uh, decided to keep going. Of course, and you have done amazingly well. So what was the first step, Marin, you took once you had decided you were going to set up your very first agency? And what was the greatest challenge that you've had to face since? Um, I mean, the first step was, um, so I, I still cycle in the vacant cyclist. So I cycled to the artist studios to convince them to trust me. Um, and I had amazing artists on board uh, straight away. And and then I thought clients and artists, I've always been like this. I've, I've always been pretty bad at the structure. My team knows me. They, there's a joke on how much gets agreed on my Instagram PM and my WhatsApp. And they like, this is ridiculous. Um, we've agreed you will see over the coming weeks, nine public artworks with Westminster and the Crown Estates through my WhatsApp. And my team is just like, you need to start writing long emails and structured, but I, I feel I think people so I always think who do I need to get involved and who do I need to convince to be on board um and so my brain straight away was just like okay who do I need on board um and I went and set up to have a couple of cheers of people and convince them I think it was just that simple um in regards to challenges I had many I think you know when we were in Warwick together doing that conference I spoke about I think one of the hardest one that I had uh, kind of leaf through was the level of attacks that I received. Um, it, you know, I think I, I'm sure I, I'm sure it was seen as so arrogant. I was constantly told by my sector that I was too ambitious. Things that were just so mean, you know, 25, again, like I say, like I was shaking behind my little dresses and, and pretty makeup. I was just not that confident yet. And, and I was completely broke on the sofa bed as well. So I didn't have the, the safety cocoon that I have now. I also was lucky to fall in love just a few months before and to have actually uh, friends and a man that was constantly telling me to keep it strong. Um, but the level of the attacks, it was just really mean, I think. I just received a lot of mean attacks. And and it's something that has uh, produced, I think it's just it's still happening in the sense that like I don't take it in the same way because I have grown and because I'm happy into the way we're doing things um but it's really interesting how you know we are obviously challenging things I've done and and we have received a level of attack that is um I think you know uh, definitely not justified oh my gosh I'm really sorry to hear that and obviously I can imagine you would have heard a lot of no's Marin given that you were revolutionizing the art industry so much how were you able to deal with that at such a young age I think you know it's interesting because maybe that is the reason why I was able to uh, make it happen because no's are not something that bothers me like I had a dad that always told me I was not able to do anything, you know, and I was coming from that background of being told no since day one, you know, and so I, I don't mind no's because I've always been someone that has therefore gone beyond the no, um, and I'm comfortable with that. Um, so I think maybe coming from that, it was not the one that I remember as being a big, biggest challenge. I think the irony is I was dealing with all of this, plus the fact that you're broke, plus the fact that you have to build a business, but I was also attacked. I think the no's would have been enough in a sense that like I was accepting them as I knew it was going to be tough. Um, and yeah, I think I've always, you know, I'm the no person in a sense. And like I have lived a life that was um, 
going against the odds in many ways. So therefore I'm used to, you know, I'm used to hearing it. I'm used to challenge it. I'm used to kind of go be behind, be behind it. And I think it's something that I have been used to since a very young age. It's not something that I found difficult for that matter. Yeah, I think that's really admirable. And one thing I do want to discuss, obviously, Marin, is I want to talk about your mission. I mean, I adore everything you're doing, your message and your business. One thing in particular that we have really connected over is our desire to practice grace as business owners. And you've already mentioned elegance. Is grace a trait or value you have always appreciated in someone else or yourself? Or has it been something that you try to practice more as your agency has grown? That's interesting. Um, so I think, first of all, the mission, obviously, as you know, is, you know, I think it's silly. When I started my business, it's like if I shake the hand of my five years old and I was like, what do you really want for Christmas? And she said, I want people to be inspired by art. And, and for, um, generally, whenever I see little kids or people really inspired and having their eyes sparkle on the public art projects, the, the art that we put on the walls or anything like this, the me is shaking the hand of that contract and it's fulfilled, you know? So that's all that the mission is. It's, it's really just bringing magic, creativity, imagination into a world that sometimes may not have it. So that's, that's my little contract and inner contracts, I think, because I know how much it has helped me when I was younger um, to have imagination in that sense. Um, Grace, I feel, you know, I'm a true romantic. It's just, I'm, I haven't gone through business school. I haven't gone through the, let's do a business plan. I have read a lot more novels and watched a lot more movies than I have read business books. You know, it's just, it's not my build up. My build up is I like good stories and I've read good stories and I want a good story. Um, that's much more what I relate for. And and I think from that basis on, the people that I admire are people who have a few bruises, a few scars, but are, you know, wearing them and owning them and still going about things. I think someone that has, um, is still an enormous inspiration and more for the French side is called Simone Vell, who um, went to the concentration camps when she was younger and still was at the heart of the creation of the uh, EU plus help women uh, voting the abortion law in the 70s so she was and she was so elegant um and elegance for me is not just putting on a pretty dress it's just you could see that this woman had to at some point she's seen the evil in people but she still decided to go for something that was very positive and that's what i found elegant is when you know that you could go for the dark side or the negative side or the cynical side it's is there and there's many factual reasons to why you will go for this and yet you decide to turn the road in full knowledge this is not the, the path that you would take and and i found that deeply elegant i found that very graceful because it is the idea that you know as much as hope or may not be um the statistics you're still making it the statistics and and it's different than just being factually like well, X is more negative, so we'll go for the negative. You are making something positive, so you're more active in the statistics of it. And for so many years, women in particular, we were encouraged to be more aggressive as leaders. I don't know about you, but because I started Smart Girl Tribe when I was so young, 
I always remember being told that you need to be more of a man if you want to succeed in this world. And that was never something that really aligned with my personal values. So on your darkest days then, Marin, or when you are struggling or facing some really hard decisions or challenges, how do you remind yourself to be graceful? Do you do anything in particular? Do you think it's a state of mind? Um, I think for me, I've gone through different stages. I'm definitely, I'm not aggressive, but I'm assertive. As you know, I think I'm definitely direct um, as a person. And and I will always confront if, if there's a conflict, if there's an issue. Not do it in a being way or aggressive way, but I would try to understand why the issue is in the place that it is. Um, which I think is definitely, sadly, still seen as something that's more masculine because apparently women, when they are, to be liked, they shouldn't be confronting things. I would, you know, if we had a full out, I would definitely call you to understand why. Um, and and that was not to be aggressive, is to resolve it. Um, but I do find that it is something that is still definitely not very feminine to do that. Um, I think the confusing thing for loads of people with my personality is I'm still someone that wanted to become a man, a young man. I'm still someone that loves wearing flower dresses. I'm still someone that will spend a lot of time putting flowers in vases as well. Um, so, you know, I, I feel um, I feel that's where people get puzzled. And and I think that's the interesting thing is, is apparently you can't be complex. You know, you're either the kind flower dress person and then you'll be more at home or less involved in your career or you're the very assertive and then I should be wearing leather, everything and, and be much more. And, and the truth is that I'm generally a mix of both. Um, I... I think it's, I had many people like you trying to shape me. I think when I resigned my business, because I was a hundred percent owner, I really felt this is a time to give it exactly what the business is. And, and that's also how we ended up having a business that has a socialist value mixed with a very capitalistic execution. And that's why we are B Corp um, in the foundation of the business, because we were also told that I couldn't be political and lead a business but I was political I've always been much more socially engaged um and so I think it's many things I was told you cannot be but I wanted to be that I think we have made happen for the business specifically um I don't need reminder anymore I'm just am I think I've always said to people that I know the privilege to just be and I see my son being born in a world where he can just be who he wants to be and and I know that most people can't. And I, and I remember when I couldn't be, I had to pretend to be somebody else. I had to mold myself into a certain way. I had to accept certain things. Um, I have the pure luxury now that the way I behave is exactly me and I can be that. And I am not questioned for this. And, and I, says, I say this as a privilege because I knew that this is a privilege and I had to earn that privilege. It was definitely not something that was kind of given and and it's it's amazing when you can just wake up and, and be exactly the person that you want without having to be challenged about it. No, I love that. And you inspire so many individuals around the world. Your commitment to art, representing truly talented people and obviously kindness. For anyone listening, wanting to be kinder towards themselves, what would you suggest then? Um, I think the kinder to yourself is a very long road. Um, I'm so worried about Instagram um, at the minute because it's a huge tool for us. We've built an amazing community of people who have been so supportive of us. Um, separately, I started a movement called Visual Diet on raising awareness on 
well, we consume in major ways. And I have a little sister that's a model and that's very concerned about how she looks. And I have been digging into a lot of books about the impact of that kind of imagery as well. And I am a bit scared, I think, on, you know, I think I contributed a problem on people reproducing my lifestyle more than actually wanted to become the person that they want to become. I think, you know, it's so difficult because it is the lifestyle that I love and I'm very privileged and I know all of this, but I think equally um, it shouldn't be what anyone wants to become. And I think it is becoming a place where, you know, you could have young girls will think I need to have this to be happy. I think again, back to, what we discussed, I'm happy because that the five years old me is happy with me. This, this is a person she wanted. It's, you know, for me, it really, I was really in that dark hole starting MC Arts, asking myself the most uncomfortable question on exactly um, what I wanted and, and the business I wanted to build. Um, and it wasn't to do with other people. It wasn't to do with what Instagram wanted me to be. It was just really what I wanted. So I feel kind of yourself is we're usually asking very uncomfortable questions and and i will say step off the social media for the time being if you haven't figured out who you are if you've figured out who you are this is an amazing platform i've connected the most inspiring individuals i have such a lovely community but i think when you're figuring things out i just don't think that's the right place um i think it's people are sending you signals that you should be someone but that might not be the right person for you basically and I love your projects that you mentioned, Marin, visual diet. I think it's really crucial to question our daily dosage of Instagram and all social media platforms. One question I do want to ask is, is it hard to encourage others to challenge their Instagram feeds in such a celebrity obsessed society, if you like? Yeah, I mean, it's an irony because, so... I was never celebrity obsessed. Um, I generally landed in Los Angeles with a bicycle and books and pretty dresses. You know, I was not prepared for what was about to happen. I opened my gallery with loads of famous people and and I was projected into this world of fame because I just didn't understand it, didn't know what it was and and never kind of, it sounds so silly, but Will, my boyfriend, will always tell you that I didn't think I was smart. So I had a huge insecurity on convincing people um, that I had a brain and therefore I was all about the book reading, you know? So the idea of fame was just so remote because my insecurities was much more about convincing myself that I was clever, you know? So there was not the people that I was trying to target and that was not the people that I was trying to convince. So, um, so I feel like, I think what LA taught me is the power of fame and and that power is tangible, you know, um, Hollywood is shaping the way we think we should behave, the way we think we should consume, the way we think we should aspire. So for me, I thought if that's, uh, if that's something that's, that's there, you know, we're not going to change that. It's, it's, there, um, it's there for a little while until things change. Then I want to make sure that the artists I see better values in and more socially engaged values in uh, to rise to fame because I want... I want to contract that content. I want, I, I don't eradicate one content for another. I just want to complement that content with other ways to think about it. Um, and so my idea was the people of my books, the people that I aspire intellectually, that I want them to rise to fame, to, in, to inject a different type of content to that world. Because it worried me that this world was 
influencing most young people. And I was like, I want my artist, I want their value on sustainability, on technology, on diversity to basically be incorporated into the level of influence I'm seeing. Um, so fame has always been that weird relationship where for me it's a tool. It's a tool um, to make sure the right content gets in and and therefore the right inspirational content is rich to very large audiences. Um, but yeah, I, as my insecurity was purely smartness, I just didn't think I had a brain. So um, it, it's it's ironic because that was never something that I had partially as an insecurity. Um, but it's something that I saw as something very powerful to make an impact. You've mentioned reading and cycling. What are some other hobbies of yours? And how often do you get to practice them, Marin? Because you seem so, or you are, not even that you seem, you are so busy. Um, I think I'm very lucky that my hobby is my job in a sense. That, like I am, you know, we're part of you included. We're part of a few that we love what we do. So I don't need to escape my job. I find my job very enriching in many ways. Um, and my job is fully integrated into my life in that sense. You know, you can see art where I am and, and there's, I, I'm, I'm living into what I love. Um, I think... Um, it might surprise. It might be a surprise, but I'm definitely actually much more of an introvert than an extrovert. So I need time processing emotions. Um, I am definitely someone that cries a lot, not in a sad way. I just I need time to process. Um, and I think books, walking, cycling do that. Um, where I just, you know, it's just I live at a very fast pace, as you say, and I see a lot of things, and you always have to take a lot of difficult decisions as well, and. So I think these are times where I can process that. I can emotionally appreciate what's gone on, but also be grateful, but also process the things that are difficult because I think with any joy, there's also difficult decisions. Um, so I think it's more a therapy, a mini therapy, and I dance actually an hour a day as well. Um, so yeah, I just, this is more pro emotional processing. I am definitely a slow emotional processor. Uh, it takes me a few days uh, to process emotion. So I need help to process that. I posted um, a beautiful, so one of my friends directed a beautiful dance movie yesterday. He's called William Armstrong. And uh, it's very beautiful. His wife, who is also a dear friend, was under, undergoing chemo where, when he was making the movie. And she's actually, um, she's now all clear, which is pretty incredible because she was my age. And she had a little baby the same age as Atlas. So it was, it was definitely um, really heavy. And um, he therefore shot a whole dance video about grieving. And I'm definitely that where I need creativity to grieve. Um, I can't just grieve. Um, and that's what I mean by the, the value of the creative sector. I think it's walking, cycling, reading, Seeing something creative, uh, dancing um, is my way of grieving, um, is my way of processing as well. And that's what I was said when I posted about it yesterday. I was just like, I feel, you know, there are a type of people who can't just talk about it. They have to just watch the dance undergoing and then feel it and then they feel better. And that's the way I process things. Absolutely. And I can completely relate to that. It takes me a while to process any kind of emotion as well whether that be positive or negative I have to wait a while for things to see sink in and like you said I too I love walking I love yoga because I feel that they're all practices to 
harness that, I guess, and to bring that out more. And one thing I am really, really excited to talk to you about, Marin, is... France and being French because you are obviously French. I adore the French culture. I even studied advanced French at advanced French at university. So, how French would you say you are, Marin? How much has your heritage played a role in the woman you are today? Because being in Britain, we are surrounded by documentaries on being French. YouTube videos on being more French. There are so many books out there talking about French society, French culture, French fashion, French food. So how would you describe yourself when it comes to being French, if you like? I think we, well, we spoke about it before the podcast when you said you lack um, being international. And I think uh, being international is always a weird relationship with all different cultures because you actually get to see that no culture is, is perfect um where you need constant exposure to different cultures to make your own perfect basically um and i think that's the way i approach um frenchness i think um i'm definitely politically french um there is a level here of inequalities and social classes that as a french person i can't cope with you know i still read the news um in french and english and and the way they speak about health or education is something that i'm way more french than english about it and and it's um so yeah proud politically french and that will always be and and the company is definitely led through those values on that basis as well um i think um i am not Business-wise, I'm not French. I think I'm more British um, in the way of conducting it, in the way of the manners of doing it. Um, and I have an execution of the business that's more American in the way of marketing and promotion and communication, I think. But still preserving the social values of the French. I, my team has lunch um, that we usually cook together. Obviously, COVID makes it a bit more complicated, but there's still levels of which um, I retake that. Um, I think maybe the, the shock is more on the parenting side. I'm definitely French on the parenting side, which I realize is, is a thing. Um, and it is true that, um, you know, I've less attended dinner parties age one week old. Um, and I can see that here. It, it might be something that you do a bit later. Um, you also realize that stepping up on parenting is never a good idea. So you'd never, ever say what's the right thing to do or not. Um, but I am the mother that will have a little dress and and ankle boots and and you know have my kids running free in the park. And the reason why is because I, I strongly believe in him ex- experiencing things more than being overly cocooned. And, and I want him to be social and experience life in all its ways as well. So that's at the heart of, of my education values for him. Um, I think fashion is you know it's um, it's a way that. The French don't tend to wear many logos. It's not really, it may change, but that's not really something that's like very prominent into the culture. Um, you tend to be very comfortable wearing small brands or cheap brands mixed with expensive brands and you don't make a statement as much into that matter. Um, I do though um, become incredibly British on dressing up. The French are so boring when it comes to dressing up. Um, and you know, the Brits, when it comes to partying, would really put on like I'm, you know, we're about to launch a beautiful exhibition called Hope in two weeks, ten days now, 
um, and I'm definitely having a rainbow dress. Um, and the French at that point is just like, oh my God, we can't cope with her. She's so not French. Because I love, I love the fact, I, I think celebrating is something that's much more Anglo-Saxon. And I think that's absolutely beautiful um, to just celebrate things constantly. Like, I don't need to feel chic. I need to feel also celebratory. So I think that's where I become more British. I will definitely wear a lot of colors. I will definitely dress up when there's an occasion and, and party properly when there's an occasion. I feel I'm a, I'm a good mix at that level. I do feel, you know, and I think that's what the whole EU thing broke my heart because I do feel there's so much value in the two countries working hand in hand together because a lot of the reason why I love my life is an integration of multiple cultures and it is, and I do think they sync super nicely um, for that matter. Um, so I think the division of it is sad because because the cultural integration of them is actually pretty successful. I think the French and the English have an ongoing long relationship of love and and complementarity in many ways um, that um, that I'm doing daily, um, which is why obviously it's sad when when that's separated. Um, but yeah, that's and and I feel. I think the social side is something that's becoming stronger and stronger. I think I used to be harsher to the French culture for being slow. Um, I'm like, you know what, I'm happy to wait until something is actually more fair than rushing for something that's going to be unfair for somebody else. Um, so over time, I think actually the social angle is something that really bothers me. But equally, I think, you know, if I was doing what I was doing in France, as much as we have an office in Paris, but we're bigger here, I don't think I would add as much value. And I think the fact that I'm bringing that over to here, I think I can actually add value because of the way I perceive things that way socially. Um, but that's definitely the thing that triggers me the most. That's that's the biggest difference to the two countries. It's the social um, aspects of things. And one thing that we have touched on that again i can't mention france without talking about the fashion which i know is something you are also passionate about marin so i want to ask what is your approach to fashion what do you look for when shopping where do you shop how would you describe your style because i love following your taste on instagram as well as much as you are connected to art because that comes across in your fashion choices as well I think, I think when you're um, sensitive to arts, you're sensitive to all things creative. Um, you know, I like beautiful things. We're about to launch a beautiful partnership with Diptych. And I like beautiful candles. I like beautiful art. I like beautiful fashion, beautiful houses. Like, you know, it's just you. I have this relationship. She, all my girlfriends wear my dresses and vice versa. Um, I'm really not a fashion addict. Um, and if I wear things, I usually share them uh, very quickly. I think before fashion rentals, my wardrobe is a place where most of my girlfriends have gone through and, and my dresses are usually traveling to different places and different houses. Um, so it's, I'm not attached to the object. I'm attached to the feeling of wearing it and feeling special in that sense. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't follow trends. I have, you know, what I'm wearing right now is a few years old and I will still wear it in the same way. And I feel it's more, yeah, it's just more of an expression of, softness my personality the romantic side of me because I think that's more coming through the fashion side in the same way that my house is more cocooning um than in the business side um and and yeah and, and and it's just I just love twirling in dresses 
that are floating and things like this that I just always have and whether I'm five whether I'm 31 I think it's the same feeling and that was so beautifully put and I would love to talk to you more about art in general so who are some up-and-coming artists that you are particularly excited about Marin? so up-and-coming I think the one behind me is no more up-and-coming because he's now a huge success David Sevenschreber but I think he is very special for me because he's the first talent we ever signed and he's become a major success so for us it's um it's a proof that therefore these things have really worked out um, and the business that we have has worked out. At the minute, I am excited about Delphine Diallo because I feel the she's, I, I, there's very few artworks I think as, as inclusive as what she has. And I think right now people need this feeling inclusive, I think, because um, yeah, I just, I find it very violent. A lot of the discourse is being put out there and the way that people exchange. And I think she is, She's a good therapy for that because she does bring all parties together to have a conversation, which I think is very nice. Um, then another one quite similar around the same value is Claire Luxton, um, whose artwork Hope has become like an Instagram obsession because I think, again, she's bringing a lot of hope. I think a lot of the artists this year that we've seen rising are people who are giving you uplifting, hopeful qualities. And that's what we wanted that this exhibition to be called hope because we wanted to say you know we want to give you that because we knew that this was a challenging year so i think a lot of the artists that we've seen rising were therefore responding to that um, um and yeah i just i i feel so fortunate to kind of i've seen all those people kind of growing for that matter and if someone was listening to this and they were really hoping to incorporate more art into their lives other than becoming a collector or attending museums or art galleries, what else can somebody do to become more arty and again connected to that world? Do you think it's a matter of choosing the media that we can that we consume, choosing what films we watch, what books we read? What can we do in our everyday lives to connect more with that? Yeah. I think you know. First of all, I think we should all be concerned about the visual storytelling that's going on. Um, whether it's movies, dance, art, music, it's the same way as the fact that you wouldn't want to vote politically. Okay. You have to vote, you have to take part into the creative conversation because that is specifically the, the way, um, yeah, our generation will be remembered. So it's essential. If you don't have the art, that's completely fine. Um, just empowering people digitally is a lot already. So following someone and giving that person a voice speaking about that person, sharing the content, endorsing a content is already taking part in that conversation. Um, you know, I think our artists are big uh, digitally and and they are grateful not to anyone who buys the work, but also to the ones who have given them a voice. I think that voice is very special and I think I'm grateful for that as well. Um, I think also, you know, you could also go around the streets and there's lots of public art projects. I, I hope in the years to come there'll be a lot more. Um, personally, it's something that I'm very passionate about and I love the idea that locals will take part more and more in the conversation of deciding what artworks goes up on their streets um, and that's something that we're working very hard towards. Um, and I think for movies and books, just ask yourself what you're empowering. I understand that it's nice to switch off your brain at times. We all do it and it's fine trash TV exists. I am not saying I'm perfect about it. I'm just saying 
you know, Love Island, if we look at it, is one of the most sexist shows that exists in Europe. There were studies looking specifically at this. It tells you that you have to be a certain body, a certain shape, and your main attribute is that you will be seducing men. And that is just, you know, as a woman to know as a woman, it's sadly not great to endorse it to that extent, you know. And I think in the same way that me and Chelsea, it's great to watch things, but just be mindful that you watching it, you're endorsing mainly a type of content. It's also you empowering a type of thing. And if two years later you feel shit of the way you look, then this may be related. You know, the two things may be connected from the content you've watched and the content you've endorsed to the way you're feeling. Um, and as much as I understand that on a Friday evening when you work very hard, you may not want the most intellectually challenging content to be watching or visually inspiring in that sense. Just ask yourself the questions on how much content you're consuming and and how is that balance? Because it does shape you. If you you will wake up with the insecurities of the content you've been consuming, it's it's directly connected. So I, I get it, but I feel in the same way that junk food exists, just don't just consume junk foods. Just be mindful that there's there's a value in consuming content that elevates you. Um, and that value is that you will feel better long term. Absolutely. And I completely agree with you. You've nailed it on the head what advice would you give to any artist listening and struggling to make that first sale um i feel well first of all i think good luck because it is tough um there's definitely too many artists for the level of buyers that will be buying that works and so it's like an entrepreneur there's too many entrepreneurs for the level of which companies can be built so it's definitely um a tough thing to do doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing it as we said you should still go ahead but you should be mindful that it's going to be a long road and it's going to be difficult um i think you know just think how you can inspire people you know i think ultimately um you know i i feel that artists i know obviously you spend a lot of time in your studio thinking about yourself and and kind of putting that onto the creative expression and and basically that is merely what you've been doing but creative value is about inspiring other people and and if no one is fully inspired then it might be just so you haven't communicated why this is very meaningful or it might be that it's more of a hobby than a career because ultimately it's like an entrepreneur if you're only if you're not adding value to other people then the business won't grow um and i think here it's kind of the same the difference between a hobby and a career is that you are adding value to more people so there's actually the need that you are fulfilling somewhere. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And if you could only advise someone to go to three art galleries in the world, Marin, what ones would you choose? Um, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can't do that because I think the whole point of the visual expression is that you just digest constant uh, content. So I don't actually want to say X. Um, I think you should see a lot of things. Do you have a favourite one in London? I think um, I think it will be more institutions. I think I have chosen to um, be a young patrons of museums because I, I generally believe in the value of museums. Um, so I'm a young patron of the V&A Museum and the Tate Museum. Uh, V&A because I love how this fashion, architecture, art, design and craft all mixed. It's um, it's really lovely that it's you could go to a David Bowie exhibition and then uh, see a very classical sculpture. I like the the mix and integration of the, the collection. 
and uh, the I, I value this museum that has really looked in the UK to enlarge the audiences and has gone extensively upon the research of how they were going to do that and and making you know the museum engaging from the branding to the projects that we're doing to how they were going to market this project and and my sector is still uh, for the very few so I think I endorse the fact that the Tate is trying to look um, to inspire people on a much larger scale so that's the reason I'm, I'm a young patron of both. I love that and speaking of kind of travel and cultures do you have a favorite place to go in the world Marin, what city maybe would you consider one of the most inspirational? Oh my God, this is the same. Um, you know, I feel it's, it's, it's basically exactly the same answer to um, that I will give you to the answer. I'm sorry, because I, I can understand how, um, how, um, how I must be very annoying because it's the same kind of answer. I do travel literally everywhere. Like my son was in 12 countries when I was pregnant and already traveled to nine um, outside in his first year so I believe in diversity also of exposure of travels um, I think you know I think generally I'm the happiest Londoner ever um, I I've seen a lot of people saying they want to move out of London I've loved London I've loved it during the lockdown I was part of a campaign uh, writing love letters for London and very happy in London basically so I feel I visit my own city all the time and and I think from a diversity of people to a diversity of cultural exposures it's very much there you know so I very much value that. I love that and being such a traveller myself I can completely relate it's not it's not annoying at all I wouldn't know how to answer that question I wouldn't know how to specify just a few places and what is your yeah, I like coming home and I think home is London so I highly advise London no absolutely London's one of the most I mean where have I lived New York Rome Dublin Barcelona London so no I can completely I understand both of my brothers went to university in Edinburgh so I visited them and I would really struggle with that question as well what is your vision for the future Marin? Um, so this is really interesting because um, I'm a bit of a, I think I'm a bit strange about those things where I planned 10 years on 10 years mm -hmm. and everyone made fun of me when I was 20 because I said at 30 my company will be X and I will be pregnant with my first child and this will happen. I think they all got freaked out when it exactly happened exactly like this. So I think they were just like, well, she is. And so I, I do like chapters. I'm really a book person. So I... I'm already on my next chapter in the set. Like my core goal now is to grow the company to an extent that it doesn't need me anymore. Um, and that empowers other people as part of it. Um, because, you know, my goal was always to impact the sector. And if I can successfully grow a company, that means I can raise funds to impact multiple companies and mentor multiple companies that can make an impact in that sector. So my plan is 40 now. Um, now, I know you've already realized a part of my plan that I failed miserably. I was commissioned a book, but I haven't succeeded to, <laughs> I haven't succeeded to do it. But 40 should be when the company doesn't need me anymore. Um, you know, um, we, and, and therefore I will be able to hopefully help another six to 10 companies in my sector for making the sector a better place, a more diverse place and more accessible as well. And I would have loved to have done the book by then. My publisher is annoyed with me that I'm not even. Um, and 
very much a case of now me empowering people for the next 10 years and go completely behind the scene at the end of this 10 years. So we should see if it happens exactly the same way. Um, but it did happen for 30, so hopefully that's the same story. Do you think you'll still be in London in 10 years' time? Do you think you'll still be in your house that you're in now because it's stunning? Oh, um, I don't mind that at all. Um, I think it's the answer. I am in London for the values. Um, if the values change, that will change. Um, and I'm in London for the people that also live in London. And so I think never been the, the project is. Um, and houseways, I, I do hope for a few more kids. I think there might be a point where we'll need to move if that happens, um, just purely because I want many. Um, and um, yeah, I, I that's a, for me that that will be part of the flux of how things happen. But I think the idea of empowering and being kindness um, very much what I'm going to become. So I'm reading a lot on on management of people and how I can better myself in that, which is a whole different job from founder to CEO to again being behind the scenes. And I can't wait to kind of grow again to learn to do that. Absolutely. And finally, Marin, I end the podcast with two questions. The first is what is your favorite quote or the mantra you live by? So I think I don't even know if it's an actual quote, but I know this is always when I say, um, which is to leave the life of my imagination because it generally, we spend our life projecting ideas and you will see in a few weeks, we created um, nine public art projects that are completely out of our imagination and then we, we will see them being real. So, um, and my life was very much made in that same way. So um, I really value imagination. I, I think imagination is something that's, seen for kids but I value it as an adult and I leave by it as an adult basically and the last question what books or podcasts would you recommend to our audience well, obviously yours um I think the book so this is a very controversial one but it is called Atlas after Atlas Shrugged and by a woman called Ayn Rand in the 60s who immigrated from the Russia to the States and wrote this book on rethinking the world politically, socially, and economically. I don't agree to all of it. Sadly, the extreme rights movement took parts of it, which I disagree highly because I think there's a lot of socialist element in two. Um, but I think first, it was, I read it when I signed my company. It was the most empowering book because it's a woman who runs it. And you actually so rarely read books where women in a novel setup is empowered and run things and and it's it was just super empowering because she was non-compromising and she was doing things and and that's incredible whether or not you agree and and that's the point of any conversation um she does challenge your brain off um and i feel i feel that's something that um i met therefore the dad of atlas will because he was reading the same book and I do believe in challenge. I do believe in people questioning you. And that book will definitely question you, make you feel uncomfortable. And I think that's a good thing because it, it means that like, you know, you will ask the right questions constantly. So it's, but it's an intense book. It's, it's not a book you're going to be able to leave on the table, not reading or posing. It's a book that's going to trigger your stomach quite a few times. But then I believe in the importance of triggering your stomach. And I think that's the right book to do that with. I love that. Thank you so much. What I have to add is um, 
you know, I, I generally, how we met, I feel I was generally blown away by how um, beautiful your speech was. It took me ages to actually be partially a good public speaker. Um, and you conveyed empathy. You mentored these young girls and uplifted them in a way that it took me a lot longer to be able to convey emotion with public speaking because I think it's just difficult because you're overtly kind of impressed. But on the top of that, you have to convey that. So, you know, I think it's exciting for me to be on the podcast where that demographic of people will be there. Um, and I think I do believe in your approach because the, the way you spoke then was very, uh, the, it was full of empathy. And I felt that's difficult to convey so young because I think it takes longer to convey empathy the right way. Um, and I was, yeah, I was impressed by that. Thank you so much. That's really kind to say. And that means a lot coming from you because again, I started a company so young and told I was told no from everybody everybody in my life to a degree didn't think that starting a business at 19 was a good idea with no business qualification so to then set out and do it it's very hard to look people in the eye and say if I can do it you can do it and my whole mission has always been to empower women because a bit like yourself I didn't relate to anybody growing up. I wasn't into fame. I wasn't into celebrity stardom. I wasn't into reality TV. I wasn't into all of the makeup and fashion. I really cared about culture, being international, doing good. And sometimes that's really hard to put into a career. So to then start and hearing so many no's, but then just wanting to persist and be as graceful as I can be and you know, as empowering to other people as I can be. It's, it's a challenge. So thank you so much. That means a lot, especially coming from you. I've admired you for so long and it was great to finally see you in person and hear you on your panel. I took away a lot from that event when you were speaking. So thank you very much for your honesty, Marin. It's true. It's very true. It's just truth. Thank you. Well, I hope you have a beautiful rest of the day. And, yeah, and come and come and see us and come and say hello as well um we'd we'll love to see you as well but i look forward to uh, the podcast and thank you so much for having me